girl next door. I want to hear your song again. <laughs> Every day's a new day at Curl Next Door. Yeah. Oh, good. That's our new jingle. There you go. Hi, everyone. Hello. Hello. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Recording from Tamara's basement with a Caesar. Bloody Caesar. Where's yours? It's right here. Cheers, friend. Cheers. Mm. I decided that we should probably always start our episodes with Caesar. Fabulous. Love right? it. Love it. It's like our device, right? You know how on My Favorite Murder, it's like stay sexy and don't get murdered. It's like we're just have curly hair and drink bloody Caesars. Exactly. <laughs> it's, a, it's not a bad idea. We need, we need the right sign off still. We're still working on that, right? So good for a great way to start your weekend, right? I've been doing like a bit of a cleanse. So I had basically a week and a half or so with no alcohol until last night, which was one of those Fridays where you kind of really need a bit of a glass of wine. Uh So anyway, we'll see how how this detox keeps going. What's the detox involve? It was just, I need a TO. I need a TO from alcohol because this whole, (laughs) especially when you're self-employed, it like helped because you're not, or you're not even self-employed, but working from home, you don't leave the office. Having a drink becomes the demarcation of, I'm done working for the day. It's a great point. And now it's like happy hour and I'm relaxed. So I just kind of needed to break that habit, I think, because I wasn't, I don't know, I think combined between how I was eating, drinking alcohol, like I was just feeling sluggish and not great. And I think part of it is once you have a few drinks, your food decision, decision making about what you're going to eat really changes. (laughs) Right? Yes, totally. Yeah. Because you want the drink and the salad you were supposed to have for supper is now a pizza. (laughs) Totally. Your salad turns right into a pizza. Or something else that's like, I'm going to order on Uber Eats and all of a sudden the pizza's $100 because they have so many surcharges. And food is more expensive now. COVID has caused inflation. Cost of living is higher. I've really noticed that in my grocery bill. But of course, ordering lazy Uber Eats is the most bad, like the worst possible value. (laughs) It, it, it really <laughs> on a pizza, is. $100 pizza. Yeah, it really is. And it's such a good idea at the time. Yeah, yeah. Oh, here comes Winston, the cat, because we're recording in the basement and he loves Stephanie. So if it's just me, he'll le- leave me alone. But he's like, she might pet me. She might be my friend. I have been petting him. Yeah, so I then arrived. he's like, okay, this girl's friend. my friend. Yeah. Should anyway, we intru- yeah, we should introduce ourselves. ourselves. Hi, everyone. Hi, I'm Tamara Robbins Griffith, and I'm Stephanie Podolik, and we the are Cat Whisperer. Yeah, we are Curl Next Door. We, we- are Curl Next Door. <laughs> you know what? There's something I wanted to talk about like a couple times ago, but we got sidetracked. And tell me, <laughs> so tell Winston and a- I what's going on. <laughs> Winston and Stephanie. It was a. It was like it's like a missed connection. Okay, so let me paint the scene for you. Please do. I was at the playground with my kids and there was this other mom there and she was like super stylish mom. You know how there's like the the Lululemon or sweatpants mom? She was like a mom with cool sneakers, a rock and roll t-shirt dress, jean jacket. Cool. And she had kind of like my hair twin. Oh, really? So she had curly hair. Blonde? Bangs. No, it was it was more dark brown. Yeah. And but around a similar length. And so immediately, because you know me, I'm very extroverted. I was like, I love your hair. We just immediately started talking about hair stuff. That's awesome. And in this short amount of time on the playground, established that she also used to straighten her hair all the time. And then during COVID pandemic, I can't remember what she does for a living, but she started letting it go curly. And I think her bangs also weren't that old. So she'd kind of gone on this similar hair journey. And I asked her who cut her hair. Now I can't remember. And she was kind of in the whole stage of embracing the curl, experimenting with products, trying to figure out what worked for her. And basically I was like, 
I could keep, we could have kept talking all day, but she was doing that thing that parents do where you're like, she took her kids to the park, then her husband was coming to watch them while she went to the eye doctor or something. And so she had to leave. Yeah, she had a very short window of time. Yeah, she had a short window of time. We chatted. I was also meeting another mom there who our kids were playing. And so I was like, oh, that was a cool chick. And she, we had a lot in common. And then a few days later, she was at the bulk store in line with me. And she was like, hey, it's you from the park. And so we we saw each other again, even though I think she lives a little bit west of me. Anyway, I told her about Curl Next Door podcast. So if you're that missed connection from the park, (laughs) I don't know who your name is. You've got great style. I'm interested in your hair journey. I hope you're listening to this podcast and maybe one day we'll be Facebook friends. Yeah, and you can find and send us an email. Send tomorrow an email. Send me an email and we can keep like sharing with you things from our learnings from our hair care journey that, you know, we're kind of in a similar stage. And you can you. and you can do a park play date. We can have a park play date. Our kids could play, and then we can talk about hair the whole time. Yeah. So email tomorrow at curlnextdoorpodcast at gmail.com. That's Curl right. Ne- Winston is getting very comfortable. <laughs> Maybe he's a little too like, comfortable. Well, he's just look at my my black sweatshirt is covered in amber fur. Next time, you won't wear black when you come over here. But I can lint roll you before you leave. Please do. Before you go out there into the world, I will remove the cat hair from you. It's like going through an airlock. (laughs) Yeah. Coming, coming, leaving the house. You go into the airlock and you get like blown and lit like... (laughs) I will, I will lint... That's not what I meant. (laughs) You get lint rolled. Yeah. You know what I'm trying to say? I know like what you're trying to say. Air jets will yes. blow onto you. I will lint roll your butt before you leave. <laughs> and you know what? You're making me think of my favorite booby joke of all time that my friend Samantha Pin also loves is that she used to go to the hair salon because that's what you did, especially in like the 60s that's and what 70s. Boobies do. That's what boobies do. She would tell the kids she was going for a blow job. <gasps> Without knowing that. There yeah. Was, yeah. Yeah. She was like, I'm getting my blow job today. <laughs> And the kid, the grandkids would just quietly giggle. Well, I don't, I, I don't know how old at the time her kids were. I mean, I thought it was funny, but she would tell her kids at the time. It's I don't pretty know how funny. Old they were. It's very pretty funny. funny. Yeah, yeah, Sam likes to bring it up all the time. Anytime I mention my booby. <laughs> <laughs> so, so tell me anything new going on with your hair, with your hair care journey, things you've been trying lately, questions you've had. I continue to love the AG curl cream. Yeah. And I'm almost, it's almost empty. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You've been blasting through that Well, stuff. I mean, we talked about this last time. You're only supposed to use a dime-sized and I use a mittful. So it's almost done, but I do still really like it. Mm-hmm. And I've been trying to dabble in some new hair products, but I think we're, we're going to probably bank that conversation till okay. the next step. Save it. But I, okay, here's my question. Here's yeah. one question that's on my mind sometimes. What do you do at the end of the product? Like, how? what's your end of product personality type? Because some people just mm. like, whatever, throw it in the recycling. Some people do have tricks to get that last bit out. Some people cut the tube in half. Yeah, you want to get every drop. every drop. Like, what do you do? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm trying to get every drop out of it, for sure, for sure. Also, mostly because of environmental reasons, actually, because I, I want to be able to recycle the packaging. And you can't recycle the packaging if there's goop still in it. This is, uh, yeah, I don't really have much hair stuff this week. That's okay. I don't have many hair stories. All I can tell you is that I typically sleep with a satin pillowcase and all my all my satin pillowcases are in the wash. <laughs> and so I've been sleeping on a cotton pillowcase. You're such a diva. I know. I've been sleeping on cotton and it's a marked difference. Really? Oh, yeah. Like I wake up and my hair is much frizzier. Okay. I, I'm a full endorser of the satin pillowcase. I need to go back to that because I have one or two. But then sometimes when I'm changing the sheets, I'm like, no, but these ones match. So That's I kind a, of... Exactly get, right. And so anyway, uh, if you are telling me it works, then I will try it again. I'm telling you it works. Okay. Yeah. Okay. One last hair question. Okay. From me. Yeah. Do you clean your brushes and things? Like, how do you clean them? Well, I only use one brush. Mm -hmm. It's hooked in the shower. After I condition, I brush it out. And it's the rubbery one, the Curl Keeper, Curly Hair Solutions rubbery brush. Yeah. So it's 
it can stay in the shower stall. And it gets rinsed. And it gets rinsed. Yeah, and it gets rinsed in there. And it's got one of those silicone sort of bristle pads that I just sort of poke. So it flips upside down on itself or inside out on itself. Right. So I can pull all the hair out. Why? What's your brush routine? Well, lately, I mean... Probably for at least the past six months, I've been using the Denman brush. Yeah. But, and I love it. But because I'm using it after I've put in product, it's getting, it gets gunky, right? It's like I'm brushing through my hair once it has product in it. And then I rinse the brush, but I don't think that's getting it clean enough. And then a couple times I took it apart. Like it's really cool, actually. I highly recommend deconstructing your Denman brush. Like pull that rubbery orange part out, give it a rinse, look on the inside, make sure it's not moldy. Those little rows of teeth in the brush, they, they get the they gunk. pop out and, and they, they pop they pop out. And then you have to get them like each row is not the same length. So you have to put the right ones back in the right They come holes. out as a row. Yes. They come out as a row. Yeah. And then could you just put them in like a, a water vinegar solution maybe? Yeah. Yeah. I just haven't, I've mostly been cleaning it with scrubbing it and water and running the comb kind of through it to whatever. But then I was like, do people use Barbicide at home? You know how they do it at a hair shop? Like, should I be investing? I want my things to be clean and I want to protect my investment when you buy nicer hairbrushes. Yes. Yes. I mean, I have a Mason Pearson brush that I used to use when I straightened my hair and it was never with product. Like it didn't get gunky like this. Yeah, exactly. I always thought Barbasil, is it called Barbasil, the blue goo, the blue Barbicide. liquid? Barbicide. Barbicide. But Barbasil sounds like Barbapapa. It does. <laughs> and the color looks like a Barbapapa. I always thought that that was used to just kill germs because they use the same brushes on all the different clients. But does it actually clean the product buildup on the combs and brushes? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to take yeah. it out. Let's find out. Yeah. Let's Google that. Yes. Yeah. H-I-T. S-H-I-T. I was like, <laughs> let's Google remember? that. Oh, yeah. Let's we Google that. Are a, we are a clean podcast. So if I spell it out, it's clean. If we spell it out, it's clean. <laughs> if you hear a beep, it's because it's not clean. Oh, my God. Last episode had two okay. beeps. <laughs> We're really edgy. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't... Are You're going first this week. Oh, okay. 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 Are you ready? Yeah. I'm ready. I'm going to sit back and finish my Caesar. Oh, we need, yeah, we need a good Caesar moniker. CNC's. Curls and Caesars. Curls and Caesars. Spicy curls and Caesars. Spicy curls. I'm not, my, guys, I'm not at my best right now. That's okay. I like you no matter what state you're in. Aw, I like you too. <laughs> Aw. All right. I put toothpaste, I had spilled toothpaste on my sweatshirt today and I was like, I'm not changing. Stuff. It's stuff. <laughs> she doesn't judge. It's so, all good. Don't worry about it. And if you're a listener and you have great ideas for some kind of moniker or catchphrase about curly hair and bloody Caesars, tell us on yeah. any way you want to. Twitter, tweet us, Instagram, DM us, email us. Twitter us. Tweet at tweet at us. <laughs> we are a quintessential Canadian podcast here <laughs> with the bloody Caesar. It's a mandatory. Are you ready? I'm ready. Y'all ready for this? Dun, I'm ready na, for na, this. Na, I'm ready. Na, I'm ready. Na, 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 na. Uh, who sings that song, by the way? Is that? That's not CNC Music Factory. Uh, I'll tell you. You start telling me, I'll find out who does that song. The reason I'm asking is because when we were talking about Curls and Caesars, of course, I went to CNC. And then this song popped in my head. So I don't know. Is there a connection there? I think it's too unlimited. Oh, got it. Same era, though. Yeah. The early days of Technotronic. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I digress. Clearly, I just want to. I'm waiting for like a rap story. I know. I just want to. I just want to gab and chat oh. and catch up. There's a whole category of chat casts. Yeah, <laughs> we chat cast. We are chat casting. All right. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm excited about this one. It's so nice when we're doing research and we stumble upon something so interesting and educational. And this particular <laughs> curl next door, I'd never heard of before. Today, I'm going to talk to you about peanut butter. (laughs) The kind you eat? Peanut, peanut butter, and jelly. (laughs) Sort of. My sources are Wikipedia, the nationalpeanutboard.org, Britannica.com, and the Peanut Bureau of Canada. 
I, I want to see where this leads us. Right. It's intriguing. I'm going to introduce you to George Washington Carver. I know who he is. Okay. Okay. Yes. I didn't know who he was until a week ago. Let me tell you more about George Washington Carver. He is thought to have been born in 1864. Birth certificates and stuff were a little bit ambiguous back then. So, you know, early 1860s, early to mid 1860s. He was an American agricultural scientist and inventor. I wrote inventory, but it's inventor. <laughs> he had an inventory of a lot of things. He did. Actually, it turns out he, he really did. did. <laughs> he is considered the most prominent Black scientist of the early 20th century. He had a significant impact on farming, bringing in advances in agricultural training during a period of time when agriculture was the single largest occupation of Americans. Winston, you have a lot of thoughts about this. <laughs> Put a muzzle on him. <laughs> I really like Winston. He likes you. He very much likes me. I can't decide if he's adorable or distracting. Both. Yeah. Carver was born in Missouri and born into slavery in the early to mid-1860s, soon before it was abolished in 1865. The owner of the land which he was born into was named Moses Carver. Okay. And at the age of one week, he and his sister and his mother were kidnapped by night raiders from Arkansas. They were then sold in Kentucky. Even talking about this just makes it's me... so dis- gross. It's disgusting. As, but, a, as a sidebar, have you seen The Underground Railroad? I read the book. Okay. I started watching the show. I have a bit of a fundamental concern with the storytelling, which is that there wasn't literally a train under the ground helping yeah. people escape. They. He's taken some liberties. Who's the director again? He's amazing, like the Moonlight guy. Well, it's the it's not the director, it's the writer. Oh, okay. The book author wrote, I think used this sort of analogy of Underground Railroad and made it literally a, f- a fully working steam engine train under the ground, which is not what the Underground Railroad was. But if you've only seen one episode or two, maybe it feels like this isn't right, but... I think it's Barry Jenkins. The way they take these storytelling liberties and kind of the suspended reality and the mixture of truth and fantasy, it's it's really incredible how he kind he ends up using it in the end as a device. Okay. So maybe he changes has some creative liberties in the show that aren't in the book. Probably. Yeah, probably. Maybe to address this particular concern yeah, cuz this was a real this was a theme that I discussed in my book club. Oh, interesting. That a lot of people in the book club felt the suspension of disbelief yeah. was really hard to reconcile. I think that, so, and then you get back to your actual reality telling, but I think because Barry Jenkins is a very masterful director, he does quite great things with it in the series. Okay, mm-hmm. I'll pick it back up. Yeah. It's good. I'm actually, I'm in between shows right now. Okay. Okay. All right. So after he and his sister and his mother were sold in Kentucky, Moses Carver was able to locate baby George and negotiated for his return. After slavery was abolished, Moses Carver and his wife raised George, as well as George's older brother, James, who had been hidden during this kidnapping. So James was always at the farm and protected uh, during the abduction. George and James were then raised by Moses Carver and his wife as their own children. Hmm. The boys were encouraged to study, and Susan Carver taught them to read and write. And then later he went to public school, which was about 16 kilometers away. And he went through school and then later graduated from high school in Kansas. Mm -hmm. He continued his education with a few hiccups. He was supposed to go to university in Kansas, But when he arrived, they wouldn't let him in because of his race. Oh, God. Yeah. So he ended up working for a while on a homestead of a friend. He there started to learn about nature and farming. And while he was there, he maintained a conservatory of plants and flowers. And he also worked acres of rice, corn, produce 
fruit trees, forest trees, and shrubs, and some other stuff. So he was getting a real agricultural yeah. education Hands by working. Hands-on education. Yes. So now it's 1988. He ended up going to college in Iowa and studied art and piano. Hmm. His art teacher recognized his talent for painting flowers and plants. And at her encouragement, he moved to study botany at Iowa State Agricultural College, which is now Iowa State University. Cool. He was the first Black student at the school. And not only did he get his bachelor's degree in agriculture, he continued on to complete a master's degree. Awesome. Is there a movie about him? His life is really so interesting. And I only, there has to be. I only learned about him. I'll tell you how. There's a cool show on Netflix for kids called The Who Was Show. And I think it's oh. based on a series of books about cool people. So they do like Joan of Arc and Marie Curie and... And Carver was included? Yeah, he was That's included. Amazing. And they actually also did George Washington. But they, then they did George Washington Carver. Cool. So I kind of only know about him from like a half-hour episode on a kid's show. I should have, yeah, I should have watched that. <laughs> Had I known. Well, you're going more in-depth and with an adult perspective. Yeah. <laughs> oh, how neat. Yeah, but kids' shows are sometimes the best way to learn history, even as an adult, because they break it down to just the simplest Simple. headlines. Yeah. yeah, and I have some cool books for my kids about cool people throughout history, and I've thought, can I just sit here with Stephanie and, like, read this book on our podcast? Yeah. It's, the thing is, sometimes they leave out interesting parts when it's for kids, right? Yeah. And and we, we like to delve into that adult side of things. We do, but, we do. But yeah, you're right. It's a good introduction. It is. So, well, uh, maybe that book could at least give you some inspiration on people you should feature yeah, on the it show. Yeah, it does. It really does. Sometimes it's hard to choose and then you just, it's like, no, what speaks to me this week, That's right, right now in this moment? Anyway. Exactly, right now in this moment. Mm -hmm. Okay, after his master's degree, he followed this up by research work with one of his professors. His professors loved him. And he was very successful, and this earned him some national recognition and respect as a botanist. And Carver ended up re uh, receiving his Master's of Science degree in 1896, and then he taught as the very first Black faculty member at Iowa State. Awesome. Yeah. In 1896, he moved to the Tuskegee Institute in Alabama, which is now Tuskegee University, to head its agriculture department. Tuskegee. That's a... It, tough one. Yeah. Is that how it's pronounced? I hope so. Because <laughs> I'm going like, to say it. Look that up. No, but I'm going to say it a few more times. It's spelled T U S K E G E E. Okay. Yeah. I would say it that way that yeah. you said it. Tusk Tuskegee. 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 I mean, I was imagining all sorts of other creative spellings of this place you were pronouncing yeah. in my mind. Yeah. So I hope I got that right. He taught there for 47 years, and his teachings would include methods of crop rotation, as well as alternative cash crops to replace the cotton. Mm. And the reason this was a problem is that the cotton was ruining the soil. It was sucking up all the nutrients in the soil, and the cotton had been replanted year after year after year. Yeah. And so he was trying to introduce this notion of don't always plant the same yeah. crop because then it's eventually going to ruin the soil. Yeah. I think it's the case with a lot of things. Like, doesn't have to be cotton. If it's only one thing all the time, it's not great. And Michael Pollan writes about that. I can't remember if it's in The Omnivore's Dilemma, but I was introduced to that concept when I read Michael Pollan's books and seems to be like a better way to do farming, but not the common way. Yeah. And also even though cotton could still potentially yield some profit, these farmers also need to eat. So he wanted to introduce these concepts of, it's okay to rotate the crops, plant some food that you could then actually consume right. and not, yeah. not starve to death on your land. Mm -hmm. He also developed the department into a research center, including research into chemurgy, which is a branch of applied chemistry. And Chemergy, C-H-E-M-U-R-G-Y. Okay. Okay. Chemergy? Chemergy. <laughs> I don't know. It's probably Chemergy. It's probably Chemergy. Chemicals. And chemistry. That's okay. And chemistry. But 
you know, it's I've probably, never heard of the word kemergy. It's probably kemergy. I still don't know that word anyway. We're I learning th- something new every day on Curl Next Door. Anyway, kemergy or chemergy. <laughs> It's a branch of applied chemistry using agricultural raw products for industrial products. I'm not saying that Carver did this, but as an example of what this discipline is, think about using plant material, like cellulose is a plant material to create, uh, you could use plant material, organic material to produce motion picture film. So it's using oh, cool. like organic material to then translate it into something industrial. That's that's the field of chemergy chemergy. <laughs> I love it. Okay. So yeah, he developed and taught techniques to help with soil health. And uh, yeah, the culprit in this case was the replantings of cotton. He wanted the poor farmers to try other crops, including sweet potatoes and a whole bunch of legumes, including peanuts. And his motivation was to help with the environment, but as I said, also to help the farmers get food, and the crop rotation would help restore nitrogen to the soil. And he also ended up creating a lot of communications material, like they called them bulletins at the time, including like hundreds of recipes using peanuts. And it was his work with peanuts that got him a lot of international attention. He was actually made a member of the Royal Society of Arts in England in 1916, and the... This society is a London-based organization committed to finding practical solutions to social challenges. So, for example, members include David Attenborough, Charles Dickens, Stephen Hawking, some, some good pretty, company. pretty good caliber uh, scientists and writers, etc. In 1919, he thought there was a potential in peanut milk, and he wrote to a peanut company about it although both he and the company were unaware that there was already a patent for peanut milk from two years earlier from someone else named William Melhuish. <laughs> I'm not going to spell Don't worry it. About Whatever. it. Whatever. He created a milk substitute made from peanuts and soybeans. Interesting. Yes. In 1920... This is like way ahead of the trend. Which trend? Of, I don't know, veganism oh. or like avoiding milk now. There's like a million nut milks. There has been non-dairy milks since... The early 1900s. Right. So he was onto something. Yes. In 1920, he was invited to speak at a convention put on by the United Peanut Associations of America. He presented something called the possibilities of the peanut and exhibited over 100 products made from peanuts. So when I saw the kids show about this, it really kind of, there was a certain Forrest Gump approach to him listing off, you know, like in Forrest Gump. Shrimp gumbo. Shrimp gumbo, shrimp stir fry, shrimp, grilled shrimp, shrimp. It was like they did that with the peanut thing. He was listing off all the things he could do with peanuts. That's funny. What else? So around the same time, now I want to think of all the peanut things. I didn't write them all down, but there's a lot. Peanut Peanut butter. But it's not peanut butter. Oh. That's that's later. Okay. Uh, Peanut... Peanut shampoo, peanut face mask. Chicken peanut stew. Peanut chicken stew. All right. Around the same time, so we're in the 1920s at this point, the U.S. peanut market was being undercut by imported peanuts from China. Peanut farmers and industry representatives were planning to appear at a congressional hearing to ask for a tariff, and they invited Carver to participate and to testify about the importance of American peanuts. Due to segregation, it was unusual to have an African-American participate at Congress. However, it didn't matter in the end. The committee members were so engaged by his testimony that they repeatedly exceeded his time allotment because he was so interesting and had so much interesting stuff to say. Right. And ultimately, the tariff did pass, and the work he did with Congress made him a widely known public figure. In fact, the public was so enamored by him that it's possible he was given exaggerated credit about his impact on the peanut industry. And, for example, one writer claimed that he was solely responsible for the rise of U.S. peanut production in the late 1800s, early 1900s, which isn't quite true. Okay. Clearly, there's a whole peanut association. An industry. An industry, yes. But he was the public face of the peanut (laughs) He turned out to be the public face of the peanut, but he was given 
association to certain things that were not part of his yeah. I get it. Brain. Didn't right. come out of his okay. brain. Despite creating a lot of peanut products, and this further actually reinforces that idea, he created a lot of peanut products, but none were commercially successful. He tried selling a peanut-based medicine, hair products, massage oil, everything in Was your forest gum. Is hair product? I don't peanut have shampoo? I don't have, maybe. I don't, <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't have those emails. Oh. <laughs> uh, but none of them took off. And in the 1930s, he developed a peanut oil massage product to treat infantile paralysis from polio. However, it turned out it wasn't the peanuts that provided benefits, but the massage itself. Right. Yeah. I bet it was like a peanut pomade. Probably. Don't you think? Well, it, they said it was an oil. Some kind of oil to like slick your hair. You say pomade, I say pomade. 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 Let's look it up another Let's time. Let's look the whole <laughs> thing up. <laughs> Throughout that decade, there was a lot of attention given to Kemmergy <laughs> due to it being the Great Depression at that time. And there was interest in developing new products from crops. He ended up attending a Kemmergy Chemergy conference. <laughs> I'm so embarrassed now. Have I been saying <laughs> no, it you wrong? Don't need to be embarrassed. I love it. New words you don't always know how to pronounce, and you don't always take the time in your head to think about. Well, what's the root word there, and what's the etymology, or what's other words that sound like it, and how are they pronounced? Like that takes time. You have to slow down to like consider all that. Yeah, and I read a lot, so I feel like my my reading vocab is much stronger than my verbal vocab because a lot of these words I've never heard. Or you never had to say it out loud. I've never had to say it out loud. All right. Okay. Yeah. So throughout that decade, oh yes, new products from crops, blah, blah, blah. He attended a conference after which he developed a friendship with Henry Ford, who had invited him to speak at that conference. The car car man. In fact, when Carver's health began to decline... He and Ford were such good friends that Ford installed an elevator at the Tuskegee dormitory where he lived. Isn't that nice? Nice. I like that little story. That's a nice little anecdote. In his 70s, Carver created a museum of his work, as well as a foundation at Tuskegee to help continue agricultural research. He donated all of his savings, which was U.S. funds of $60,000, which is now over a million, well, it would be considered over a million, to help create this foundation at the school. He died at the age of 79 after falling down a flight of stairs. Oh, dear. Yes. Oops. And he died. He ended up dying on January 5th, 1943. And on his grave, it's written, he could have added fortune to fame, but caring for neither or neither, mm-hmm. he found happiness and honor in being helpful to the world. Aww. Yeah. Thanks, George. Yeah. And quoting from Britannica, his desire was to serve humanity and his work, which began for the sake of the poorest of the black sharecroppers, paved the way for a better life of the entire South. Mm. All right. He ended up receiving numerous honors for his work, which was especially noteworthy at the time of high racial polarization Why he wasn't officially a doctor, he did receive three honorary doctorates. Nice. One posthumously. He won many medals. There's there's dozens of schools named after him. A laboratory. He was featured on a 50-cent coin. There are two ships named after him, the SS George Washington Carver and a submarine, the USS George Washington Carver. (laughs) There's parks, gardens, and taxa. Another term I'm going to introduce you to. Excellent. Taxa is a term in biology, such as the Colatotrichum carveri and the Matasferia carveri or the Kercospora carveriana. It's a category like the taxa? Yes. It represents a group of organisms. And that was, sorry, that was named after, developed because of his work? It wasn't necessarily he that developed these biological... Categories. Organisms or categories, but because of his influence in the science, scientific sphere, some of these bacteria were named after him, which I guess is quite an honor, even though one of these I looked into is like a fungus, and they named it after him, but I don't, I think it's an honor... 
Yeah. Because they need to find some sort of way to describe these things. So they call them carveries because right. he's carver. Okay. I just, it would be such an honor to have a fungus named after I think me. so. Don't you just want that before you die? Yes. <laughs> I want my legacy to be a taxa. A shroom. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's funny. Um, he was elected into the Hall of Fame for Great Americans. And he also is in the National Inventors Hall of Fame. So let me let me get back to the peanut butter okay. piece. While he invented over 300 different uses for peanuts, he did not invent peanut butter. Okay. Okay. He's mistakenly credited for the invention of peanut butter. In fact, peanut butter can be traced as far back as the 15th century when the Aztecs ground peanuts. Mm. And it was a Canadian who patented it, a Quebec-based chemist pharmacist, Marcellus Gilmore Edson, patented peanut paste in 1884. And that was the finished product of milling roasted peanuts between two heated surfaces. Cool. Then in 1895, John Kellogg of Kellogg cereal, etc., mm-hmm. patented a different peanut butter process, which came from raw peanuts. Then in 1903, Ambrose Straub patented a peanut butter making machine. So it wasn't actually Carver's peanut butter. That's fine. He did enough. He, he did, did other so much things. other stuff. And regardless, peanuts are a really big deal. In North America, um, particularly peanut butter. And I'll tell you some fun facts about peanut butter consumption. Americans, on average, consume 22 tablespoons of peanut butter per person per year, (laughs) which seems kind of low. That's low. I eat way more peanut butter, but those are not the people who eat it with a spoon. But maybe that's per capita. It's an average of all Americans. If every American was to eat peanut butter, they would, on average... Because it's 700, they, Americans eat 700 million pounds of peanut butter combined annually. Hmm. And then Canadians, 94% of Canadians have peanuts or peanut butter in their household. Well, I, I'm a big fan of peanut butter. I like it on celery with raisins. I like it on bread. I like it in sauce, like Asian sauces with yep. peanut, peanuts and soy. Yes, And, well, I'm glad you mentioned that because 63% of Canadians who consume peanut butter spread it on toast, bread, bagels, or English muffins. (laughs) And I'll just leave it there. Yum. George Washington Carver, thank you for your contribution to agriculture and the peanut industry. Thank you. And, of course, he had curly, curly kinky hair. There you go. Curly kinky. Excellent. Thank you. Okay. Five. (laughs) Four. Oh, I love being counted in like that. <laughs> okay, so I am glad you took talked about someone historical because I'm talking about someone more contemporary. Ooh, okay. Which I think is always nice in the mix. Yes. I'm going to tell you about Rosalie Anderson McDowell. Can you guess who that is? Rose McDowell. I'll, her, she goes by Andy McDowell. <laughs> One of the OG, like, curly-haired actresses from Forever. growing up. Well, us growing up, she, right? I can't think of ever... I don't think I've ever seen her in a blowout. I think she has rocked those curls forever. Well, she has had... I can picture some of her blowouts because of her modeling career. However, she's had some awesome curls in pretty fabulous, iconic movies. Totally. So let me tell you. Okay. She was born in 1958. She's an American actress and fashion model. She made her film debut in a 1984 movie, The Legend of Tarzan, Lord of the Apes, which let's not, we're not like going there. We don't want to spend time there. (laughs) We don't want to spend time there. Okay. But basically that put her a little bit more on the map, which led to her role in Sex, Lies, and Videotape in 1989, which was... The quintessential, yeah. So that's that was her breakthrough. That was 89. She won the Independent Spirit Award. She was nominated for a Golden Globe, 
all these things for her leading role. And she also received Golden Globe noms for her performances in Green Card. Oh, Green Card was so good. And Four Weddings and a Funeral. That's uh, that's the ultimate. 1994. That's the ultimate. <laughs> Th- these Andy are like so many good movies from the 90s. Oh. In a way, you could say like she her career kind of peaked then, but there's a reason I picked her now and this week. So she starred in Groundhog Day yeah. in 93. Shortcuts, also in 1993. I haven't seen that one. Well, I quite like Shortcuts. It's also got Julianne Moore and a bunch of other famous. Yeah. Anyway, blah, 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 blah. She had... You skipped one of my favorite all-time movies, which is St. Elmo's Fire. She wasn't in it. Yes, she was. She was? Absolutely. Are you sure you're not confusing her with Demi Moore? No, she wasn't one of the main gaggle of people. Okay. But she, Emilio Estevez's character falls in love with the Andy McDowell character, and he's the reason... Do you know this movie well? I, I've seen it, but it's been a long time, and I mostly yeah. remember Demi Moore. So she was the doctor that Emilio Estevez's character fell in love with. It's not that I don't believe you. I'm just looking at IMDb. You're so, right. Yeah. You're right. So you didn't believe me, <laughs> basically. I, <laughs> there's no trust in this podcast. I know. Go on. Go okay, on. Okay, Tell me more. Okay, so her character in St. Elmo's Fire was Dale Bieberman. Dale. That's right. <laughs> okay. All right. She was not in Clue. (laughs) She was not in Clue. So she had roles in a number of less successful films that I won't list. But you know what? She went on to star in a number of... She had supporting parts in some movies in the 2010s. What do we call them? The teens. She was in the remake of Footloose. She was in Magic Mike XXL, which I guess is the sequel. Um. And interestingly, she she received critical acclaim in 2017 for a film called Life After Love, and she starred in the film Ready or Not. And Ready or Not, so this episode of our podcast is actually airing after Halloween, but that's on my list to watch with Edward for Halloween because there's not, it's not a huge category of comedy horror. Correct. And I've heard really good things about this movie. I've seen the trailer twice and it was made a few years ago in, yeah. in 2019 or a couple of years ago and looks really good. And she's in that. I'm sitting here with a massive goofy grin on my <laughs> face because I do not like horror movies. I do not like them. Yeah. Period. Ready or Not is just the cutest, sweetest, easiest, fun-loving horror. Scary horror movie, but not, not that not scary. It's because it's a little bit exaggerated and ridiculous. Yeah. I'm delighted that it's on your hit list. Yeah. It's really good. You should watch it. It looks super fun and campy. And actually, yeah. so I was hanging out with my neighbors and I showed them, I told them to watch the trailer for Hereditary with Tony Collette because it's super scary. And basically, my friend Katie, like, got scared just from the trailer. Oh, yeah. So then I had to send them. I'm like Katie. I'm like Katie. <laughs> She's my I, people. Yeah, and then I had to. Charlie's wife. Charlie, who did our wonderful theme oh, music. Oh, Charlie. Yeah, so then, and and he would watch whatever, but then I was like, why don't you guys watch Ready or Not? I think it won't scare Katie that much. No, and you know what? She can use me as a litmus test. I do not watch horror at all. Yeah. No. Okay. Andy McDowell. Yeah, back she, to Andy McDowell. Okay, so point. she um, has also modeled for Calvin Klein and has been a spokeswoman for L'Oreal since 1986, celebrating 30 years with the company in 2016. That's incredible. She's the longest running spokesperson. Of all, like of any company? I don't know. It I sure mean, seems that. Like, definitely that's a L'Oreal. Long time. Definitely L'Oreal, but probably, I mean, I can't think of anyone else with another beauty brand that's repped them for that long. We'll have to ask Terry O'Reilly. Oh, he, yeah, he would know. And just high level. I mean, when we look at her career and all those movies in the 90s, I really do think she kind of paused and stepped back for motherhood, right? And yeah. she was busy and she had money and she was fine and just focused on other things for a while. So it's interesting because now, yeah. now things are moving and shaking again. Uh, so let's go to her, her birth in South Carolina. Her mother's name was Pauline Johnson. Uh, they called her Paula. Keep that in your mind. Okay. She Noted. was a music teacher. And her dad was Marion St. Pierre McDowell. He was a lumber executive, whatever that exactly is. Okay. Um, her mother was an alcoholic. 
Okay. And her parents divorced when she was six. Um, her mother then died of a heart attack at age 53. She'd lived sober for one year. Wow. And so Andy McDowell was young. Yes. Andy McDowell was young. I can't, I can't like exactly put together the math of how old Andy McDowell was when her mother died, but they divorced when she was six. I think these were all difficult experiences to live through. I'm sure. When Andy McDowell was eight, her father remarried and they stayed together. So she graduated from Gaffney High School in 76, went on to attend Winthrop University for two years before moving briefly to Columbia, South Carolina. And I I don't know if she was like just not into university or not sure what she wanted, but then she was spotted by a rep from Wilhelmina Models. There you go. While on a trip to LA. So she signed a modeling contract in 1978 I was just a wee baby, and she moved to New York City. Do you ever wonder about these people who just spot you and come up to you randomly in the mall, and they're like, I'm a modeling agent. Sure you are. Yeah. But a lot of people got their start that way. They were just spotted. I think the thing is, I think it was probably very common, and there were fewer questions asked in the 70s, 80s, 90s. I think now people are a little more cautious, and so you want to vet the rep. Yeah, right? probably. And maybe there's more channels for those agents to go through. And they're, you know, now instead of just going up to you in a mall and handing you a business card, because who has business cards anymore? Yeah. They're like sending an email from a proper agency and you can go in for a meeting in the office. Like it's less sketchy than it used to be. And they probably have a lot more people applying for roles yeah. than vice versa. Yeah, although now I wonder how many people really want to be with a modeling agency because they might want to make more money on their own on Instagram. There you go. Anyway. Different day. Different day. So this was 1978. She's starting her career as a model. In the early 80s, she modeled for Vogue. She appeared in ad campaigns for Yves Saint Laurent, Armani Perfume, Anne Klein, and Bill Blass. A series of billboards in Times Square and national television commercials for Calvin Klein won attention and led her to her cheesy film role in the Tarzan movie. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, in this role, her lines were dubbed by Glenn Close. <laughs> she So Andy <laughs> would speak on camera and then Glenn Close did her VO? Right. What? I know, but what year was it? 1984. So maybe like it didn't matter how cheesy it was. I don't know. It's not was like she I've... that bad. Okay. No, no, no. It's not that she was bad. It's because she had a Southern accent and it didn't make sense for Jane in the oh. Tarzan movie. Oh, my goodness. Okay. But they loved the way she looked. I do actually want to watch it, even though you're saying not to bother. <laughs> I'm now so intrigued by the campiness of it. I'm glad you're really invested in this. I so am. You watch it and tell me how horrible it is. Okay. Oh, yeah, it does say here in my notes, but I I just, it was like a copy and paste, so it didn't go into my brain. That's okay. In 1985, she filled a supporting role as a doctor in St. Elmo's Fire. Ah. There you go. So then she went on. I, I like this. She studied method acting with teachers from the actor's studio. So that's like where you had to go to be a good actor, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. I think the actor's studio is kind of it. Uh, in addition to working privately with the renowned coach Harold Guskin. Mm-hmm. And four years later, director Steven Soderbergh cast her in the independent film Sex, Lies, and Videotape. And then her performance earned her an Independent Spirit Award, an LA Film Critics Association Award, and a nomination for the Golden Globe Award for Best Actress among other award nominations, uh, which led to a series of starring roles in all the movies I mentioned already. Cool. So she achieved stardom due to the box office success of Groundhog Day and Four Weddings and a Funeral. Those Both of those movies were hits. huge. Big hits. So in 1986, which is kind of a little before that, she married Paul Qualey. Now, I didn't, I meant to look this up and I didn't. Qualey or Qualley, Q-U-A-L-L-E-Y. He was a rancher and former model. Oh. <laughs> Naturally. And she's a model. Okay. They met while posing for Gap ads. Did they make beautiful children? <laughs> oh my God. Did they ever make beautiful children? The daughter, I think they have three kids. Uh, let's see. Yeah. A son, he's the eldest, Justin, two daughters, Rainy, and 
Rainy was Miss Golden Globe in 2012, which is a kind of weird whole thing. That okay. We don't need to go into okay. why they have Miss Golden Globe. Yeah, whatever. But anyway, and Margaret was born in 1994, and Margaret is an actress. Have oh, you heard of her? No, Margaret, Maggie McDowell? Margaret Quayley. Quayley. They have their dad's last name. No, I haven't heard okay, of her. Okay, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. So since 1986... Andy McDowell has appeared in print and television ads for cosmetic company L'Oreal. And in later years, she's acted primarily on kind of cheesy Hallmark stuff. I mean, yeah. You know, the L'Oreal thing I find is so fascinating because she's, I've seen some recent pictures of her and obviously she's aging, but for L'Oreal, it's perfect because as she ages, they can just associate her with different product lines within their mix, such as anti-aging. Right. Which yeah. they've done. And right. it's, you know, I think it's been a mutually beneficial partnership. I'm sure. Um, so she was cast in 2018 in Ready or Not. It was shot over 26 days and released in 2019, being both a commercial and critical success. Oh, was it? It was. Oh, yeah. Good. I mean, I, I don't heard not much like buzz huge, about it. not like yeah. blockbuster, but, you know, for a small independent film, it did well. Yeah. So then in 2021, she starred alongside her daughter, Margaret Qualey, in the Netflix show Made. Have you heard of Made? M-A-D-E? M-A-I-D. Oh, like about maids? Yes. What's it about? It is phenomenal. Is it? And it's getting tons of buzz. And I think for this, it's like, to me, it represents a big a kind of comeback for Andy McDowell because she's excellent in it. I think both she and her daughter will be nominated. That's great. And the fact that they're working together and they have this chemistry. Yeah. And Andy McDowell, this is not in my notes, but she plays a mother with mental health issues, but I guess probably bipolar. Mm. And her name is Paula. Okay. Oh, so she's named after her own mother's mother's real name. And... I think that there's just a lot of, I think Annie McDowell, it's so meta, like she's working in a movie with her actual daughter, but her portrayal of the mother is familiar familiar yeah. from her own childhood with, you know, an alcoholic mother. Anyway. What, so is it on Netflix, you said? It's on Netflix. Okay, I'll and check it out. you should watch it. And okay. basically what it's, it's a look at, poverty. It's a look at the cycle of poverty. It's a look at, you know, having maids and housekeepers and kind of just the privilege between that, (laughs) those different class categories in our society, and just kind of how to break the cycle and how hard it is. Margaret Qualley, Qualley, who was also in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Quentin Tarantino's movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, was she? she? Yeah, she was. It was a smaller part. Yeah, okay. Anyway, she um she's so beautiful and white and you're like you're too beautiful to be this person. There's a bit of that, but at the same time she's gives an amazing performance and really in a way what it speaks to is in the show and how the show ends, it's like, okay, yeah, but she was white and how much harder is it for a marginalized person of color in the same situation that she's in. It's a very interesting and topical show that sparks a lot of conversation Hmm. on the subject matter. Okay. And as gorgeous as these kids, look, her and her sister look like models, because they are. And Margaret Qualey, I think, is also, her daughter's also done some modeling. But she's really like, you know, scrubbed face and ugly clothes and stuff like that in the the show. And her performance is fantastic. And so is Annie McDowell. Great. So she, just a little last bit on her personal life. She divorced Margaret and Rainey and Justin's dad in 99. Uh, She did enter a year-long relationship with actor Dennis Quaid. Huh, that's so funny because I was going to say Dennis Quaid's son... Jack Quaid, mm-hmm. just going to talk about celebrity children, celebrity children who become celebrity children. who become actors because of like their, their having connection. connections. Yeah. And Jack Quaid, Dennis Quaid, and Meg Ryan's son mm. is making waves. He's 
He's on quite a few shows okay. too. Anyway, he's a curly guy. And Maybe Tom I'll... Hanks' son, Colin Hanks, and <laughs> Ethan Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman's daughter was in um, Stranger, oh, yeah. Stranger Stranger Things. Things. Yeah, she was good in that. Yeah, she was. So you know, I'm in. The, it's a double edged sword. I'm sure in some ways they feel like they have to prove themselves that they're not just getting these parts because of their parents. On right. the other hand, you got your foot in the door because of your parents. That's more than a foot in the door. It <laughs> a comes. Leg, a it body. probably comes with an agent, a manager, connections. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so she would briefly dated Dennis Quaid in 99 through her sister, Julia. Uh, McDowell reconnected with her former high school classmate, Rhett Hartzog, and they got married in 2001. Sorry, but, you have to back up. What do you mean her sister, Julia, ma- introduced her, sister her to Quaid? reconnected her. That's probably an extra detail I didn't need to mention. Okay, and then who's Hertzog? They got married for a few years. Who Who did? Andy McDowell and and this guy from high school. Oh, she reconnected with a high school chum who she married. Okay, yeah. got it. Okay, but it didn't last. They divorced in 2004 and she lives in California. I don't think she's recoupled with anyone. So it, again, if you watch the show Made, it pokes at this kind of unstable mother with mental health issues who also has a series of different relationships. So it's interesting. Just like, oh, Annie McDowell's got a good life and she's got it going on. But she's also, you can tell where she's like diving into material to influence the part. Now, part of the reason I chose her this week, other than the fact that I just binged the whole series, is because Andy McDowell is... Gorgeous and amazing. Her hair is gorgeous and amazing. And she knows her gray hair belongs on the red carpet. Yeah. So she's recently been talked about because with the popularity of Made on Netflix, she's been at, I guess she went out on a red carpet in Cannes. Where was she? The the Cannes Festival, which I can't remember when this is. Recently, yeah, some something fairly recently, she's gone out and shown off her uncolored gray hair and her gray curls. Cool, and they look gorgeous. And there's a couple of interesting quotes. This is from InStyle.com. Andy McDowell is ready for the world to start glamorizing women of every age. And this is a quote from her. I think it's badass to embrace where you are in life and be fearless, she tells in style. That is exactly what I am doing. I am stepping right into where I am with no shame and it feels good. Yeah, I agree. I wish people rocked their gray curls or their gray hair more often, I should say. Yeah, and I found a picture of Jen Gunter too with like her gray curls, which I posted on our Instagram. And I just think it's... um, you know, it's a bold move and I'm not ready to stop coloring my hair, but I like the representation of seeing gray curls, which my mother wears. Yeah. I think we're going to start to see natural gray more and more and more as people stop putting chemicals into their hair, the hair color. Yeah. And as people start embracing their natural beauty more, I think we're going to start to see a lot more gray and it's just going to start become becoming the norm. Yeah. And I also think that it is better for your hair. So your friend who's a colorist yeah. might um, be able to talk to me a little bit more about that. But I do think there's some curly girl method people who really say you shouldn't be dyeing your curls. Exactly. And it dries it out. Yeah. And then your curls will look better if they're natural. So she, I think her two daughters really encouraged her to go gray. And then I think when it came to going out on the red carpet like that, she was a little nervous, but she's had so much positive reinforcement. Yeah. So, you know, that is Andy McDowell. Oh, I love this. And tell us if you love the show Made. And it's quite interesting to watch them on on camera together as a mother-daughter. And I think that we're going to be seeing a lot more of both of them as we get into awards season and it's recognized. And I look forward to seeing what Andy McDowell does with her hair on the red carpet for all these events because she is going to be nominated. She is really excellent in this. And so it's easy to pigeonhole her as this model who was in like 80s and 90s movies, right? And and rom-coms, but she's got acting chops. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. That's great. Yay, what I a love day. CND. Peanuts and 90s movies and heavy issues that we yeah. always like to talk about as well. We covered like poverty and slavery and it's man, 
It's only one o'clock. It's only one o'clock on a Saturday. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for uh, tuning into Curls and Caesars. No? Oh my God. Yes. Caesars. Caesar. Nah. I, Caesars I don't and have Curls. It yet. Curls and Caesars. We're I working don't have on it. Yet. We're working we, on we it. We do want to tell you, we launched our Patreon. So go look for it. And uh, if you want, we're going to still figure out what everybody gets. But if you love this podcast, if you love listening to it, if you like the stories and you're learning something, find us on Patreon. We'll post about it more properly on Facebook when we're ready. But, you know, don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. And join our Facebook community, Instagram, Twitter, Curl Next Door. Yeah, podcast. Curl Next Door podcast. You can find us and you know what? We try and do a good job. We try. You know, life is busy, but we try and when we talk about cool articles that we find, we try and post them on Twitter and Facebook. Check us out. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.